Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have a company revisiting in Conquest Planning. Specifically today, I have Brad Jodry, Chief Revenue Officer of Conquest, coming back for a second visit, and Ken Lataki, Chief Product Officer, coming for his first. And they're come back on the show to talk about what we can call their meteoric rise in the last time for this last conversation, because a lot has happened in about two and a half years, I think, is roughly when they were on. So we're going to talk about the changes, the growth, and the challenges those are presented. And with that, here's my interview. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, th- thanks for having us, Jason. Good to be back. Yeah, and, and literally coming in. Like, this is the first meeting I recorded in this boardroom for, oh my God, since, yeah, definitely 2018. So, or 2019. So, crazy. All it's right. The, it's the opposite of uh, Buckner walking back into Shea, right? Like, it, this, <laughs> this is one of those good situations. <laughs> Buckner walking we're, back we're, ha- we're happy to be here. <laughs> Gets to the applause every time. Anyway, so, gentlemen, let's start off with a recap of a little bit about Conquest planning and its origin stories. So let's start there. Sure. Well, maybe I'll, I'll again, thank you, but turn it to Ken. Ken's one of our, our founders and chief product officers. So maybe uh, Ken can start there. Sure. Thanks, Brad. So with early on of the days of Conquest or pre-Conquest, it was really conversations that seven founders were having. A lot of it was with, with Mark Evans, our president and CEO, going, there hadn't been a lot of innovation in the space since we left. I think everyone's kind of aware of our background and where we came from. A lot of us stayed in the space and kind of were aware and on top of what's happening and hadn't seen a lot of improvements in the tech stacks that are out there and the technologies that are out there that are out there. And, you know, we approached or got together and basically it was, you know, how can we, do we want to do this again? And how could we do this again? And we had some ideas that we were kind of floating around, but really what happened was, it's really, I think what really hooked everybody is two stats and the fact that, you know, around the world, people are still dramatically underserved when it comes to financial plans. And two, I think we took almost as a, as a personal objective or a personal goal, which was the fact that it just takes far too long to build a financial plan and incumbent come technologies today. Yeah, I mean, Michael Kisses benchmarks that at roughly 10 hours and with a very large distribution that skews to the longer term. And we built one of those products that was actually one of the high, high bars in that graph that he has in that, that particular article. And specifically, just start here and stop here for a quick second and talk about like, you know, the lack of innovation. So you started Conquest roughly when? What year was it? Uh, 2018. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we look at back at what quote unquote innovation we saw in the industry prior. And yes, there was a move to the cloud that happened early 2000s, which everybody adopted and moved to. Well, not everybody, but most have adopted <laughs> and moved to. And then I think, you know, I'll give Edmund Walters credit, who's been on the podcast before and bringing data aggregation to financial planning software that I think was the last big innovation I saw before you guys came along. But for all intents and purposes, software hasn't evolved much, even from the desktop stage, which was here's some sort of interface to input data. Now, play with it so that it looks better, yeah. right? And that's that's really the crux of it. And so we'll talk about how you've gone beyond that and evolved that and dealt with those issues. But okay, so you start off identifying that need. What, and you knew what the landscape looked like. What were your first thoughts on what you could do? Because I want to come to where you actually landed as a, as a differentiation. Our first thought was how, you know, actually was even taking it further back. Our first thought was really, there's a lot of, in every other profession out there and we see, you know, in terms of innovation, whether it's medical profession or, legal profession or so on, there's more and more tools that are being built to help make it easier for that professional essentially to do their job. And financial planning is specifically building that plan. It just, there wasn't anything like that that's out there. Traditionally, the plans have been built, you know, it's either goals-based or cash flow planning. And there's an area to go to the build the financial plan, which is all well and good, assuming you're trained really well as that advisor. But there's your 10 to 17 hours right there. So how can we and, and what could we do to make it easier to cut down that time 
to take a lot of the the guesswork, take a lot of the almost like the training and the and the rework that goes into building a plan. What can we do that? And that's really where we kind of the seeds were planted in terms of the the genesis of what eventually became our strategic advice manager. Actually, saying I would, I would add actually one more thing, and it kind of blends into that vein of the strategic advice manager, but. One of the the key tenants of the solution when we we first built it was something that a consumer could better digest. And I think that's been a, a challenge in the industry for a number of years. The, the whole discussion about, you know, a consumer bringing the shoebox, the advisor going behind a curtain, coming out with this magic 300 page report that would be the solution. Consumer then asks for a change. Advisor runs back behind the curtain, prints off another 300 pages. It was a messy process. And, and so from the get go, the introduction of SAM, making it more efficient for the advisors. Also, we wanted to provide that clarity to clients so that it would be easier to engage them in the process sooner. Yeah. And I'd say a couple of things. We'll get to SAM in a second, but you're right. Honestly, I always went behind the curtain. I mean, I know some advisors will pull stuff up and do stuff in front of them, but I always found that that devalued, right? Because the reality is, especially cases that are more complex, like there's too many moving pieces to like, just, I'm just going to alter this one thing. Now that one thing alters a lot of stuff and I got to be sure that it works. So yeah, it's, it's a very, and the problem is, is that of course, let's talk about all the tropes, right? The like 200 page report, right? Cause you're trying to prove that you know something, right? Which has led to the wave of single page financial plans, which might be taking it too far the other way as, as a compensation factor. And frankly, most, most more importantly, the jargon, right? Like, like there's just so much, like everything is like, you need to do this really complex thing. And I'm going to explain it in two sentences versus what you guys have done and your library of strategies that can be built, which is it's simple. Delay your government pension right? Like save for retirement. Everything is in layperson's terminology and carries through the entire thing. So that was one of the things that sometimes people say, you know, this looks simple. It's like, well, yeah, but that's the point, right? So, so yeah. So Sam, let's talk about Sam because Sam is the star of the show when it comes to this. Sam is the star of the show. So strategic advice manager. So again, and Brad is correct and you're you're correct too, Jason, just in terms of the other part of Sam is trying to build strategies in such a way to help advisors work with their clients. And and understand exactly what's being recommended to them. And so all that went into the conversation of what Sam could be. Mark has a, his PhD was in artificial intelligence of the University of Manitoba. And I think this was an opportunity as we started thinking more and more about what Conquest could be. This was an opportunity to invest, at least in, I guess, embed a form of AI into, into the planning process. And so what Sam really does, and, and I think you know, you're, you're well aware of it, and we've talked about it before, but for those who aren't, SAM is, is an expert system. It's rules-based. It's built to understand the data in the plan. So essentially who the client is, what the client has. Their goals are very important as part of it. And then we put an element in that we call planning preferences, which is really questions that the advisor typically would ask their clients anyways, or if they're potentially using some of our self-directed technologies, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit, let them answer and have a say into some things that are important to them as part of building that plan. And so SAM takes all of that information creates an action item, creates, a, or I guess, a, a strategy list that's ranked and prioritized, not necessarily on the impact to the plan, how it's going to solve the goal, but more specifically on what's the, in the best interest of the client. And, that, and that's really key. And so for us, going back to that point about you know, making it easier for the advisor, but also doing it in such a way that the advice they're commun- communicating to their client, Sam is working on behalf of the client and helping the advisor. And what's actually come out of it too, in, in terms of another way that we even think about Sam is a nice analogy that we've been working with, which is if the advisor is the golfer, Sam's the caddy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the advisor is going to hit the shot. That does work. Yep. <laughs> but the caddy knows the lay of the course, knows the skills, knows the, 
the club speed, knows which club to hit, knows the distance, the thing. And But in the end, it's the advisor, in this case, the golfer is hitting the shot. So I'm going to dive a little deeper on this and just kind of visualize it for people. So those who haven't seen it, you know, there's a catalog of strategies on the left, little blocks that you can select. And you've basically, based on the, the case that you're looking at, those strategies have been tested and sorted based off impact, ease of implementation, and sentiment, depending on if it's sentiment analysis on there or not, right? So, so that to me, the first real benefit of this was you're telling me where to shoot first, right? Because as financial planners, we sit back and say to ourselves, okay, so I got to look at when we start taking money to the retirement accounts, when we got to start doing the pension, when we do this and that and the other thing. And we we're going through our list of things to do, but we don't know what the most impactful thing is, right? So I, I was talking about this the other day where deferral of only security in Canada, for example, maybe it's number two to start, but by the time you implement number one, it bumps to number four. By the time you implement number two, it bumps to number six. And then like all this stuff I would have worried about as being important ends up moving the needle or being inconsequential to the needle altogether, right? So the, the fact that you're honing us in at like a caddy telling me exactly where got to take that dog leg and make sure I hit it. That's the first thing. But so that's the first piece. And then the fact, of course, you know, I activate one, it recalculates everything and tells me where to shoot next. Perfect. Let's talk about AutoSAM. <laughs> yeah. So AutoSAM is interesting. How it came about is, I mean, even with the strategy listen when you're building is context is king, right? And so yeah. the context and, the, and just basically the compounding nature of the strategy. So where do I start? But what do I do next? So using that CPP example, and this is how we got to AutoSAM, was you can have that conversation. It's an easy enough conversation to explain to a client that if you delay, you get more money. And this mm-hmm. is how it works. But the conversation, but how do you actually, when you should you do it and why you should do it? And so it, obviously, if you have the investments to bridge that gap or you have other things in your portfolio to bridge that gap, that's the best part, best place to talk about CPP and, and, and OES deferral. And social security shortly. Especially in relation to someone who's, you know, traditionally has a longer life expectancy. So AutoSAM kind of came about from thinking about like how, where, where there is this nature of what is the next best decision and how you can put this together. And honestly, it really kind of speaks more to the core engine. The engine is actually doing all of that in the beginning. So AutoSAM starts in the engine and so there's an instant, like you said before, the strategies are all scored in real time and all of that's done immediately. And that yep. speaks to kind of the engineering of the actual platform. But AutoSAM came about as a way to say, what if we just had a button that we could, that the advisor could essentially click, it can look at and basically build the plan for you, suggest the next best strategy, look at things in, in the order of operations in terms of when they occur and the importance of the goals and build this out. And as the advisor is working with it, or even if the client's potentially with them in the office, you still have the ability to go back and edit and change things and look at it. But it's essentially saying, since Sam has that overall view of the plan, overall view of the client situation, what if I just see what if it comes up with on its own? And so yeah, we kind of played around with it, did some usability testing, did some UI work with it and found that it was a really interesting way, especially for, it really hits the mark and mass affluent type of client. Absolutely. Obviously more complex wealth clients. Well, also not, turns but, the actual like, you know, solving for the plan into minutes versus hours, right? I mean, well, and I'll say even like the fact that you're already telling me like what optimal start age is, right? For certain things, right? Or what optimal funding level is. Like just the base use of without AutoSAM has shaved hours off our process, hours. And the, I also love to use a statistic that I think I've given you guys before, but in theory, right? I mean, like if you're looking at it in terms of the combination of number of start dates for CPP, OLA security and riffing between age 60 to 71, and it's just the Canadian experience, but the same applies in the US with social security and RMDs. The reality is, is that you're looking at like 28 million com- possible combinations. Now that's, if you look at it on daily for riffs, but if you look at just even start a month, there's still 900,000 possible combinations. You're helping me create plans I never could have created before. Like that's the kick, right? Like, so basically 
So that's Sam. We'll move on there. So that's the real, I think, star of the show in this. But I mean, there's so many other things about your platform, like your API out engineered. So basically, anyone can tie into anything. Your reporting engine's fantastic. Like it's very modern, sleek. And everyone who's ever, even when I open it up, people are like, wow, that's that's very clean. That's very pretty. So let's talk, let's see product for a little bit. Let's move over to the business, right? And this is where Brad's going to jump in for quite a bit here. So I, Brad, I looked it up as to when the last time you guys were on. And this was, it published August 18, 2020. Yeah. And I am pretty certain that I think we recorded two months. There was like an announcement coming. So I think we delayed for a little bit, but I'm pretty sure it was like two months in advance almost. So we're talking beginning of summer 2020. Yeah. How big were you guys then back? Well, I mean, there's a, a few different components of, of big, but maybe we can talk about the team as well as yeah. the, the business itself. Yeah. It is safe to say that you said it was August 21st or sorry, August. August 2020. 2020. Yeah. We had zero clients live on our platform in August of 2020. <laughs> no, you had you got guys like me in a boardroom saying, yeah. shut up and take my money, take my get, money. Me, get exactly. me this as soon as possible. And and so we've been working hard at taking people's money for a few years now. No. Just- <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, as you said, like you talked about meteoric success. I think we've seen both in, in a from a people perspective, as well as from a commercial perspective, some tremendous growth. You know, shortly after that podcast, people started seeing the announcement of, our first client that we commercialized, which was IG Wealth and, and the group at IGM, who've been tremendous partners from the get-go. We've since been very public in, in our announcements around uh, our partnerships with Sun Life and Canada Life and a number of other businesses in, in Canada. There's actually a couple of pretty major announcements that are about to hit, or that, that I guess as we release this podcast, we'll, we'll have already hit yes. with our first big five bank in Canada, Royal. You can talk a little bit about that. Our, our expansion to the U.S., our partnership with Pershing. Yeah, and in uh, fairness, so like this isn't this is a telling one, and it's simply your U.S. product is still like not fully in, it's in development. It's almost done, right? But at the same time, you landed the single biggest enterprise contract last year, a company that none of the comp- competition had probably heard of yet. So <laughs> kudos. I, I think that's a testament to just how differentiated you are in the product market. Yeah, I think that's. An interesting way to put it, you, you talked about the most competitive and, and probably largest RFP in the U.S. space. Yeah. In the largest market in the world with the most competition and, and two incredibly large entrenched players. Yeah. And, and maybe we'll be humble and candid for a minute here, but, <laughs> but for a while during that process, we, we didn't even realize how and how deep that competitive situation was and where we stood within it. We were really just showcasing the technology that we were servicing a very rapidly growing client base in Canada with. And we, there was some, some interest, there was some inbound interest from them to understand the platform, understand how it was different. And they've shown tremendous innovation and, and tremendous, let's call it pride and excitement about bringing something different to that, that U S market. And through that process, we, we spent a lot of time socializing our, our platform with, with a number of areas of, of that Pershing X business, traditional Pershing business, and they saw something incredibly different than what was currently serving the marketplace down there. And they loved a lot of the concepts we already talked about with respect to SAM, the efficiency we can drive to advisors. The We didn't talk about this in the SAM section, but the idea of removing bias from the financial planning decision. Yeah, um, the data is just there telling you if it works or not. And the data is the other big one. And you'll see a lot of the, the public-facing content around this. This partnership is around the interoperability. and. For us to be able to tie so tightly into really an entire you know set of advisor solutions that are going to help them run their business. I mean, it's a great project, right? It's yeah. like, let's take our custodial platform and build a digital layover top where we get yeah. like we integrate really deeply. I mean, 
to their credit, RBC Circle Black did something similar to this years ago and did a really good job there. And now I think Pershing's in the next gen, next level one of it potentially. So we'll see how it pans out. But so far, good choice on the software. Thank you. (laughs) Well, and not to mention our our expansion to the UK. We were just talking about the business, right? So we're here in August of 2020. We're still trying to start to commercialize. We had we were about to announce our first partnership. We went live in November of that year. We've onboarded a number of businesses since and a number of, of great partners. But we launched in, in the UK last year in, in 2022. Uh, we're launching in the US here in the middle of 2023. So it's been rapid. Let's just use that word. And then from a people standpoint, we had, I assume everyone remembers COVID on this podcast. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> Talk about time to be launching a company. But great. Continue. Right. Well, and, and we had 23 people when COVID hit and we had an office space in, in Winnipeg that obviously was, we had to exercise our DR policy uh, very, very effectively and efficiently that day, but, and our business continuity plan. But, but at the same time, we had 23 people that all moved remote. We had thankfully finished, I believe, a, a, our seed and, and seed plus round around that time. So we did have some funding in the business to continue to, to expand it. But Coming out of COVID, we had over 100 people employed at Conquest. So rapid growth, obviously, from a, a commercial perspective, but from a people perspective, it's been insane as well. Well, that's bonkers. I mean, like to, to add 80 bodies, you know, basically to 5x the size of your, of your staff in that short a period of time, let alone the fact that you're pretty developer heavy on that, right? So finding yeah. that talent's challenging, right? And I'm sure what they saw was exciting and a lot of them jumped at it. But the reality is, is that like, how do you... Besides the basic organizational struggles, I mean, the good thing about being remote is you have to worry about finding desks for these people. But other than that, you have to worry about everything else, including like the culture and not just moving fast and hiring bodies for the sake of hiring bodies, but being strategic and wise with your hiring, because God knows how many technology companies have burned themselves out. Just get whoever we can in here. So I think we're like, we're pretty, we've talked about this before, but I'm pretty fortunate we had the background of doing this before. So, you know, the company, the original company sold in 2011, 2012. And the exit was was what it was, but the good thing was is that there was no bridges burned, at least in terms of the ex-employees and mm-hmm. partners have come back to the table and so on. But when it comes to the employee, we kind of make the joke that it's like six degrees of EISI in terms of how we're hiring people. And so we're hiring people that used to work for Mark and team before. We're hiring people who work with people who worked with people who worked for Mark before. But then we're also, as we continue to just expand our, our portfolio and expand our understanding of the market and make more and more contacts. People are coming to us and, yeah. and wanting to work, as you said before, something very exciting. So yeah, we haven't had a big issue, knock on wood, hiring people because, you know, A, we're trying to build a culture that's very, very collaborative, very, very open. We're very upfront in terms of things like this is the roadmap. This is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. We have a lot of people who, you know, we have a very good referral policy that that's come in. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how many emails we get saying another successful referral, like so-and-so is coming on over. And yeah, we've just been very fortunate having done this before Ken, and having the history. Ken keeps asking for his referral bonuses. When there you go. People through the same yeah, what brought you in, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We did meet when you were in Quovo. Anyway, so the, and you know, it's interesting and it makes sense, right? Because you're talking about six degrees of separation. And the reality is, is that especially like everything is a small village and we really broke, boil it down to in small community. And especially I would say anyone who's got experience in coding or sales or support in the financial planning software, that is a very small ecosystem, right? Like people know each other and they know how to talk about how experiences were at different places or are at different places or what's competitive. So it's not surprising at all that goodwill that was in previous institution carried over the new one. You know, just give you a quick, amazing story. It's not amazing because it happens to us every day is like, so my team will write product user stories and there'll be anything from, you know, we're adding FHSAs to the application, we're adding 401ks, whatever it might be. 
to you know more functional stuff. But our development team is so strong in working with us on the user story. It's collaborative, not during the coding. It's collaborative when we're doing the estimating, the ballparking, the stories and stuff like that. Our, our QA team is, is, I mean, they're right in there as well. So strong product team, development team that are not just, they're interested in coding, but they're interested in understanding what they're coding. And that's Well, this huge. is what I loved about like feedback with you guys is that it's your bunch of planning geeks. Like there was a time <laughs> that we had like a three-way call on like optimization of CPP. And we had this 30 minute conversation. By the end of it, we were all like, wow, like, how many people could follow that conversation? That was awesome. Right? <laughs> like, it was just like, it was so high level. It was nuts. So great. So, okay. They make, so they make my job easy too, right? Like, exactly. I, I get to go to market with this amazing solution every day. We've kept our team reasonably lean, I would say, on the distribution side of the house. And that's that's been fairly intentional. We've been very, very targeted with the opportunities we've looked to source. And, and we've obviously had some inbound interest, but like, but I think we, you're we have also the most in- so you're, it's just a great yeah. You're a lesson in in basically deployment, right? So there's a lot of softwares. Again, they typically start with the like, especially in the in, in the advisor space, right? They start with an advisor having a problem, so they build a solution for themselves, and then they build a solution, then they start selling that solution to other people, right? And now you're scaling as almost as a B two B as opposed to an enterprise product, right? right? And that is a harder road. It's a grind. It's more sales and it's more staff that you'd have to staff up there. And especially in the early days, well, that's going to divert your attention. You know, you've been very smart about targeting enterprise first as a conduit to move down market as opposed to the other way around, which is incredibly challenging, right? So you're one of the examples I've actually used with startups where it's like, you know, one of the first questions we always go around is what's the target market? Is this an enterprise play versus direct to advisor play? Because, and and more often than not, they always want to solve the the advisor or client problem. And it's like, okay, I get that. And you can get there, but you can get there in 22 ways. One will get you the money to enable you to do the other thing. The other way is going to be harder to move up market later. And you guys have been an example I've used as when it's done right. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, we've definitely, as Ken has alluded to, we invest very, very heavily in the technology. And we believe that by building an amazing solution, we, we will win. We may limit ourselves in terms of the number of opportunities that we entered kind of within the first couple of years. But it, it paid dividends huge yeah. because we, we were just can, able to continue to invest in the technology. My team's incredibly effective at, at finding and sourcing the, the right opportunities. And sometimes, of, of course, they find us. Well, it's a real struggle for startups, right? It's how yeah. much do you, like, you need that legion funnel desperately, right? But at the same time, if all your re- you have limited resources, so you focus too much on that, well, you'll be able to deliver on what you promised. And that's countless companies failing yeah. at that. And we found some amazing, amazing clients that have been forward thinking, that, that have been excited about being the first few, right? Yeah. It's, it's like any product trend, right? You have these early adopters and then you totally. have these laggards and, and in between. But we we found such amazing early clients that want to be so bullish. Like we have folks that have helped us get into the traditional advice space. And I know you want to spend a little bit of time on kind of what what's next in the yeah, future. Totally. But we have amazing clients that are, are partnering with us to service in a consumer initiated fashion now. And really, I would say expanding the, the area of a, a customer lifecycle that we can hit within financial services. And it's just, yeah, we're incredibly excited about it. Excellent. So, I mean, and so to answer the question I asked earlier, what's changed? Yeah. Not just under three years now, and we're looking at a company going from 22 over 100 and basically having zero revenue to having paying enterprise clients in three different countries. Pretty meteoric. And now yeah, we, we've been, yeah, we can happily say we've increased our revenue stream by, I believe, infinity percent. Well, you can't divide by zero, right? Yeah. Like, so you're, <laughs> so you're like, no, you undefined percent. Thank you very much. You earned that R in the yeah. cheap revenue. Yeah, 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 it yeah. took me a while. Yeah, there we go. So, I mean, that's, that's incredibly fun. But you also, I got to say, your timing, you know, you had your Series A recently. 
And that was, you ran into a very difficult time, right? Like that was post-market correction last year, right? So what was that environment like? What was it like, despite the fact you had all the success going out and everybody's purse strings are tightening? Yeah, it was, it was a totally different experience. We, again, are very fortunate and then we've we picked some, and I guess we're picked by some great dance partners back in the day. We, I think, talked on the first podcast. We had already announced our, our initial fundraise. Um, I think we did that in the May timeframe of 2020 with with Portage and and with Fidelity, who are still here. And, yeah. and, and they, for those who don't know, Portage is technically related to the Power Financial Corporation, which now you have Canada Life and IG in the mix. So, like yeah. again, you had enterprise client investors uh, through their through their capital venture capital divisions. Yeah, and and it's obviously there's. There's benefits to raising capital kind of early in a business life cycle. And I think there's some startups and, and maybe they're just not ready for the capital, but I've always been a huge proponent of, of raising early because I think there's yeah. strategic advantage to that. And I think we've executed on that strategic advantage. We're still fortunate enough to have them at the table. They participated in the, the most recent A round. Uh, we were able to add two other strategics to this round, which was, again, incredibly exciting and aligned very closely from a, a commercial mindset as well. So we added RBC Ventures and we added uh, BNY Mellon Ventures as mm-hmm. part of this experience. So again, like we're we've a very happy with the stable of of partners we have from a venture perspective. It was a difficult process though, just just getting through this this fundraise. I I mean, I'm always honest and and straight with you, Jason. Well, if, you, like if it, it wasn't if it wasn't yeah. difficult, I would have thought you were you would be an incredible yeah. outlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, exactly. I, I, unfortunately, I know of several companies that basically had to shutter. Yeah, terribly, and then they had a good product, but it just they got caught. Yeah. Yeah, and and fortunately, we were in a, a good position in our life cycle and our in our financing that that we could kind of draw the process out in a way that would actually work for our business, and we could get the right the right eventual raise and size, the right deployment of capital, so we weren't oversaturated, and the right mix of investors. And I, I think it was interesting because I I think I was I forget what publication it was might have been Wealth Professional asked me some questions about just raising capital in this this time, and you'd think about people trying to diversify, but it was actually a little of the opposite. They were almost being more insular, doubling um, down on doubling down on the right yeah. checks. And and so it was just a really interesting process. So we went through it. We were probably offered some check sizes that were far too significant for the business to absorb at that point. Well, good on you for saying no, because yeah. that could be a freaking death wish. Yeah. And we, we ended up in, a, in an amazing position, an amazing outcome. And we're, we're ready to deploy the capital as we enter you know, our third market yeah. here in, in 2023. And we'll continue to grow the, the team in, I would say, a responsible way to support market demand and do what we need to do to continue to grow it as fast as we are. Excellent. So I want to turn the focus back to the product for a bit. Well, actually not even product. Let's talk about the growth challenges you've had on the tech size. We talked about like, luckily the, the people problem was largely solved through goodwill in the past and, and a lot of connections. So that worked out incredibly well. But let's talk about like the, the scale issue of having to plan deployment across three different countries, right? Like, and we, we, we've talked about this in the past and I've always been like, I'm like, damn, that's how it's done. So talk to me about when you're trying to pick the next feature or the next thing you got to do, you've got three different markets to piece. How are you approaching this? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So again, we have the, I'll call it the benefit of hindsight and what we did in the past. So in the past, we had two different versions per country. We had different clients, different client versions per client. So it ended up being 30, 40, 50 versions that were being tested. And so uh, we didn't, yeah. Man, that's a lot of testing for integrity, but continue. But more importantly, what that does is it slows down on your generic development. You can't do anything. And what we'd end up doing is one country would get one feature, the other one would want it, and you'd never, they'd never get it. There's just no time and capacity to do, especially when you're having to merge code back to versions that you no longer support. So that was, again, like in terms of you know what we wanted to do differently was, was the tech stack. And so 
kudos to, to Mark and, and the development team very early on when we were talking about this, they pitched this idea of the core spine and the foundational build, right? Which is essentially, there are some very similar concepts and no matter what country you go to, every country has cash flow, every country has income tax, every country has tax deferral. And there's only so many tricks. There's only right. so many tricks. Yeah, this is one of the realizations I had taken the CFA when we got into the third stage was like, huh, this is like, they did a tax section and I'm looking through it all and it's like, okay, there's only so many tricks here. And actually one of the realizations at the time was that, huh, a multi-jurisdictional financial planning software is viable if you basically engineer it properly. Yeah. And you, you guys are your, a couple of years later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're, you're right. And I mean, probably the biggest one that kind of like triggered all this was like pensions, right? Like government yeah. pensions. It's very similar in every single place that you go to. I mean, we're, we're fortunate we have two. Yeah. If you count old age security as one pension, of them. It's, yeah, it's not really pension, but you'll, you know, throw it in there. But in the grand scheme of things, that, that type of thing started us going down the path of let's build a core foundational build that's relatively agnostic. The benefit of that is we think about new features that are applicable everywhere. We can build it once and it would apply across all of them. Then the, the obviously next challenge was with respect to how we architect it was how do you localize, right? And so essentially there's a section in controlled by your user ID, but our core build that we have is essentially your user ID can have access to the US engine, the Canadian engine, the UK engine, and then whatever country we go into the future. And then really the only difference is, is hosting, right? Because obviously as you host in different jurisdictions, they want to be, servers got to be there, right? And I, I GDPR can, can, and all that. Okay, GDPR, stuff. sure. But I can yeah. also tell you how Pepita doesn't forbid that. And like, there's an I, even, it, there's it, a burden on the yeah, site, yet yeah. no one seems to read it. Yeah, but, no, <laughs> but, but everyone, everyone asks for it and love it, which is fine for us because it's just about the deployment yeah, model. You're just like, sure, it doesn't matter, but go, <laughs> we'll yeah, give you what you yeah. want. But for us, it, it then allow, for me as a, on our product team, is we can look at things relatively straightforward. We can do agnostic functionality, which is probably where we spend a lot of our time. So things like our volatility analysis, which will be out by the time this podcast rolls, Everybody gets it. Yeah. Any UI changes we make, we recently moved to inline data entry. We'll talk about self-directed in a bit too. Oh, uh, yes. A lot of yeah. things like that are, are very key and we can do once and everybody gets it generally at the same time. Sometimes, you know, things like our state planning that we're building out right now, the framework of it is generic, but obviously US and, and Canada and UK all have slightly different ways to handle the state. US being obviously the most complicated. You don't say, yeah. <laughs> but then we, but we're, Hey, we built it before. So it's something that we're necessarily that it will be in the application, yeah, but it's just something that no one would have ever made that on purpose. No okay. anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, no, no, all good. All good. And then, so how we think about things is then we, we worry about specific features per country. And so mm-hmm. what it is, so there is a Canadian team, there's a UK team on the development side, there's a US teams. And then we can also then separate things out that still look to the larger picture for integration, our business intelligence initiatives, our admin portals, and then our client portal, self-directed planning applications can all work. And so we can, we have enough developers, like you said, we're, we're I wouldn't say we're development heavy, we're very focused skewed. on development skewed maybe, but it's, it's intentional. And so each team has a product owner, each team works on, helps guide that development team what we want to work. And then we're very deliberate. And so you have, we have our larger global roadmap in terms of what we want to do, we share with everybody. And then we have jurisdictional roadmaps that we work within. And then we work pretty closely with development evangelists and resources, but it all speaks to the architecture of the system and this foundational approach that we can actually build each country into the core application. And there's no crossover. Like, yeah. like it, we actually just for, I don't want to say for fun, but deliberately turn Spanish on in the US application because we actually built a tool into the US issue? application. <laughs> but it didn't take us as long as we thought. And so in theory, the application right now, you can run Canadian English, Canadian French, U.S. English, U.S. Spanish, and then the Queen's English, of course, right? So you get add more, add more use there, right? Yes. But it's uh, but it's more use and ours moved around. The King's now. English, sorry, I should say that, right? King's English. Um, and that goes with a K for some stupid reason, but continue. Yeah, but anyways, so but 
it's allowed us to kind of not have to rob Peter to pay Paul. We yeah. can actually allow all our clients in every single country to continue getting well, this stuff. And, and that's what it, it allows, allows our clients to experience global innovation as well. Right. Like I remember the amount of times that we've had discussions in, in previous businesses at customer advisory boards where it would be like, okay, well help me understand what's happening in this other region. Cause we, you support this other region. Now it's just, literally like this this global pool of innovation yeah. and and we try as as ken said to to make it as consistent as possible yeah and i mean it's it's you know one of the things that people have asked me in the past when talking about you is like oh well you know they're going in the u.s now they'll be focused on canada it's like well if you're running two separate instances i understand how's a channel conflict when you're running one system like you guys have done which it's like everything trickles down from the core innovation from the core engine and it's just like for lack of a better term i'm going to simplify it it's tools there, the rule sets to get overlaid and voila, Bob's your uncle, you're good for that jurisdiction. It's viable, right? And the also being engineered for multi-jurisdictional from day one, I mean, this is the big, you know, thing is that number of times we get calls and I get calls and like, oh, should, you know, thinking of coming to Canada, what would that look like? And it's like, well, let's start talking. You do task calc, right? Like, like, okay, so you're talking a full rebuild. Is or, it in French? Is it in French, right? Like, can you support multiple languages, right? Like these are things that, you know, when you, there's only... To the credit, there's only been three companies I know of that have ever sold financial planning software outside of their own jurisdiction effectively, and two of them were born in Canada. So it's no surprise, us being a smaller market, that happens. When you start in the US, your market's so big, I don't blame you for not looking at it anywhere else. But at the same time, there's a lot of learning elsewhere. So well done. Okay, so you already alluded to in terms of the self-directed piece. So I'm going to take a little interlude and talk about, again, a key kind of direction of the industry. And I always, you know, there's, there's very few thinkers out there on this subject better than Joe Durant over at Goldman, formerly of United Financial. And one of the things I saw him talk about at Wellstack was about kind of the vision for how this should work in the future. And it's basically a unified platform whereby whether someone's on a DIY platform or a robo-advisor that basically, or, or getting almost like to the family office level, that all points in between that it's a graduation system whereby they start off with, the, but they're on the same platform, right? All the same core platform and experience pieces. You're not going from a DIY system with a very simplified calculator to, okay, now I need all your information when you graduate to the next level to do an actual financial plan. Oh, no, no. Now I need your really deep information because I'm doing like the super advanced estate plan because now you're worth a fortune, right? It should be a natural transition between those. Of course, most technology tends to focus in on one specific user type or use case. Talk to me about what you've done along the lines of enabling a vision like this. So we scale in two ways. And that's the biggest thing. So from a functionality perspective, our tool is built, and I'll talk about on the advisor side, and I'll talk about on the organizational side. So on the advisor side, the tool is built to scale from the most simple mass market plans. Very easy to start a plan in Conquest. You basically need income, like potentially a goal and an account. And Sam will kick in and start giving suggestions. And obviously in today's data age, the more data you can pull in, even if you do manually entered stuff like that, but you know aggregation, stuff like that, you get that data in, the more Sam sings. And as a plan scales up in complexity, we are built to support that. So we have full business planning support in Canada, working on estate planning. All three countries will have that same functionality. So we, so as an advisor or even a firm, you have a retail side, you have a banking side, you have a wealth side. The tool is built to, to do that. And the benefit of that is not just it's one planning tool that you have to train and have people use. Just think about it from the client lifecycle and the data that goes through, right? Mm -hmm. You have the plan at the very first time they hit into the system all the way up to hopefully they become a wealth client if that happens, or, or even family members are wealthy on one side and others are not. It's also, I mean, I will say the fact that going back like the MVP of like what this looks like, someone comes in without investments, it's literally, what do you make? How much do you have free? Give me your dates of birth, yeah. right? In theory, Sam can start working off that, right? And I think 
The value of having that unbelievably low friction point is the ability to start demonstrating very quickly the value that can be brought to the table, right? Oh, like now you're with just that, you're able to give me this. Yes. Well, if you gave me a lot more, like the data that what I can do to help you is substantial. So I think it's the entire like showing, you know, people still don't understand what financial planning is in general because the industry, blame banks, but whatever, does a terrible job of basically making us all look very vanilla and very simple and everything, you know, financial advice, everything's financial advice, but a financial plan. Fortunately, most polls have proven people don't understand what one looks like. You know, the, my funny, the funniest poll was one in Canada last a couple of years ago where it was 50% Canadians said they had one, which was hilarious. 70, 60, uh, like 30% of that group of 50% said that it was in their head. And then when you were actually broke down, I think it was J.D. Powered and Associates actually broke down like what percentage is like, it's like around 7% Canadians who actually have one. I still think that's probably double what it should be, what, what it actually is. So people just don't get it. But I think the ability to demonstrate in that minimum viable product is incredibly powerful in terms of graduating them up the experience. Well, and, and you'll notice in a lot of the language we use, we don't, we don't talk about financial plans per se. We, mm-hmm. we talk about financial advice, wellness. Like, planning is a verb, not a noun, like I keep saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and planning is iterative and planning is over a lifetime. And so I think where you're going to see a lot of, of conquest, obviously we'll continue to grow on the traditional advice side, but in these opportunities where you have large financial institutions that are trying to service a very disparate set of clients, but give them similar service, right? Do it at scale. Those are opportunities that we're excited about because again, we can get we can get wellness and guidance into hands of consumers that maybe need it earlier in their life cycle and potentially again, as Ken said, kind of advance to a more advice-centric need later on down the stream. And, and we're seeing that in, as I said, large financial institutions, kind of retail bank into wealth, or also the workplace. So we're seeing a lot of the there's a lot of interest in well, everybody's got a retirement plan or yeah. not, not everybody, but I mean you know, retirement plans exist all over the Canada and the U.S., right? So, and to date, most of the calculators I've seen just tend to be some very simple goals-based calculator. Very little value, right? It's just like, tell me what it is, you know, they'll make assumptions on pensions. Tell me what it is you you're, you want to spend. Here's your progress bar. Well, and that's, and that's where I was getting the second part of how we scale. So, like I said, just to recap, the first part is on the complexity of the client and so on. Mm-hmm. So now the second part that we, we really scale is on, as, as Brad was alluding to there, is the ability to get a plan or get an idea of what a plan could be into someone's hands that much faster. So we scale on the client, I'll call it client segmentation maybe. So we've recently rolled out a group planning version of the application. We're just doing some additional UI work. So that this group planning version, self-directed essentially, do-it-yourself planning is built for essentially a client to log in. They can self-authenticate or, and we can talk about how we embed this into larger ecosystems in a bit, but essentially I can get in I can start entering my data, or more specifically, we can pull the data that the firm has on you, and the client can start getting in to understand. And we've been very deliberate to do it literacy first, because we'll admit there's a literacy problem in the world, and when it comes to financial literacy problem, and this allows a client to actually log in, enter in their information, and do some very simple planning. And firms can control the level of strategies, they can control the level of information, but essentially a client can understand enough about their situation. And then essentially at the point in time, whether it's the client making the decision or the firm going, hey, we have an opportunity to help this person here, that plan can be promoted up into what we'll call our hybrid version. Typically, where we've seen that deployed thus far are firms that kind of have like a call center, but you could even take it to scale it back as an example to allow... So it could be, it could be part of a call-in center where clients could essentially be working with an advisor at a call center to get answer questions about their plan. Or if it's a prospecting flow, if they're using it in that way, the client can request some information or request some additional help. And that itself can then be promoted up into the traditional channel that we all know today and, and kind of how we built the initial conquest. And so 
it's like I said, it's we're trying to tackle it in two ways, scaling on the complexity of the client, but also scaling from where the client might start. And so it becomes yeah. this yeah, right, right down to prospecting potentially, right? And potentially yeah. and the thing is, and, and I want to clarify, what you're doing here is not creating a direct-to-consumer financial planning software, which by the way, I've been pitched every six months since I started <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. And I have said everybody's always saying the same thing. Oh, no one's done this. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because of all the dead bodies lying around. Like they all tried and failed miserably. I think what you're doing is you're providing so you're not finding a full-blown software suite. You're providing some contextual advice based on some simplified stuff at a level that even an absolute neophyte can probably wrap their heads around, right? And it's, you know, one of the, and this, this buttresses into a conversation I have with clients and countless advisors where they look at auto plan and they're like, oh my goodness, is the client going to need me? And it's like, do you think the client is going to take the recommendations from a computer that they don't really wrap their heads around, that they don't understand how, what this thing is saying, how it really impacts their lives, right? And, you know, you listen to just about most of the people I respect in the U.S. They're saying, like, our future is financial coaching and implementation yeah. and all this stuff. Well, the, it's the WebMD problem. Well, this is the, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, like, the heavy lifting has never been our value, right? Like, even if the software tells me, proves is a better plan than I could. Let's just say that's the case. Not going to win, but it's not going to do that. Anyway, <laughs> so, so, say it does. It does It does help me be better. First and foremost, obviously be better. But the thing is, is that even if it produces the perfect plan, right? It means nothing without implementation. It means nothing without basically being able to square the gray matter in that person's head with the output and making sure that if it doesn't square because of behavioral preferences, life, life events, whatever it is, how do I accommodate for that? So we are the bridge, right? And if anything, again, have you, you know, people used to say, I can't believe it. People used to say like, well, you know, clients think they got to fill out all this paperwork every year. What a low value thing to be selling, right? Like, so I'm not afraid of that. But so we're not, again, we're not looking direct to consumer. We're looking at, again, <laughs> the bicycle for the mind analogy that, that Steve Jobs basically made, right? Like you're basically giving me the ability to pedal faster and get people further. We, we don't pedal faster. I mean, you're giving the, the consumer, let's talk about the prospecting vein. We're giving the financial professionals more information to enter their first conversation with the consumer. Right? They've already, yeah, they've already put and stuff in. Prequal, I think there's, there's a lot of stats out there that say that the buyer in any industry knows about 75% of the buying decision before they actually enter the ring, so to yeah. say. There's just so much information out there, and and this this is some we see gap, right? And and can talk a little bit about that segmentation today. If you go to a financial institution, you're probably going to a let's say your prospect. You're going to a public facing site. You're using a calculator. Maybe you do actually want a conversation with a financial professional. You come back to that conversation. They're using a different calculation source. Yeah, and so that oh, this problem, the, the process is just so so segmented and fragmented yeah. today that. That it, it creates challenge. Well, it, it really does, and then, you know, it's it's interesting. And friend of the show, previous podcast guest uh, Sean Brayman said, like, he was talking about examples that were done where the same case was taken in multiple places, and the results came back were so diverse. And I mean, there's so many different inputs that go into it: assumptions, biases, whatever. Right down to projection assumptions, right? Even if you standardize projection assumptions, you still got to get different results from different people. And you know, said, and if, if but now it's okay if it's a little bit off, and the recommendations are slightly different. But if you're, they're night and day recommendations. It's like going to a, two different doctors and getting like a diagnosis that you're fully healthy and the other ones that you're going to die tomorrow, right? Like it's just, it doesn't really help the industry at all. So I think the ability to basically, like we've done with the technologies, extract that bias and do that other stuff is going to help in terms of at least anyone's using Conquest, get something that's a lot more like just here's the data and this is what fits. Now let's fit the person to it. Well, so, and, it and it aligns with our, our ethos, right? We've yeah. talked about our ethos from the start being to get more people into financial plans. Like Totally. Or into financial advice. I'm, I'm breaking my well, own rule. No, you're, it, so I'll tell you. Plan. So the funny thing is, is that I don't remember this. <laughs> I don't remember this. When we first met in Ottawa over drinks, when you were at an urban banking conference, I was at a tax conference. Old fashions. I've... Old fashions. And we were talking about, I was like, oh, you guys should come on the podcast. And you kind of like, at one point, he's like, 
we just talk about the value of financial planning. I'm like, but dude, you're in a data aggregation company, right? Like, cause you have worked in a, like, so you, you, even when you left, you still knew the power of that. And that's one of the things that really, like, when you switched over to Conquest, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. So before we wrap up one last thing, I'm going to, oh, before we get to the final questions, but last topic to cover, it's, you know, okay, that's a lot of ground to cover in two years. Where do you see this going in the next little while? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll maybe, I'll talk a little bit from the business side and then maybe we can turn it to Ken. I think as- yeah. Everyone's always excited about product enhancement as it relates to like, where, where do we go next? But I think so my, um, my long list of demands, but continue. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to all of them. We'll get to all of them. They're knocking them all down. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think from a headline level, like we are excited about, about the global expansion of the tool. We're excited about, again, learning more as we enter new regions. We're extremely bullish on our entry into the U.S. We understand it's a very red ocean as far as, as technology. Cutthroat and, red ocean. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we'll pick the right the right knife fights. And, and we believe, again, I, I believe in the technology tremendously to enter any of those battles. I think we've already shown some success in, in the U.S., as you mentioned. Hey, every, every person I've ever shown it to has been super excited. Well, and, and plus the, the largest, again, Bad competitive part. situation that we, we were already successful in. So I think for those that are listening to the podcast from the U.S. and have interest, we would, we would love to hear from you. We want to get an initial group and quorum together, get great feedback, similar to how we released it in Canada, where we, we run to feedback. We don't shy away from feedback. That's really been a tenant of, and one of the reasons we've been so successful at building an amazing product so efficiently. So we're excited about that. We continue to be excited about the UK market. And then ultimately our, our roots are here in Canada, right? So we're, we're going to continue to evolve the, the solution and, and grow our client base here and ultimately serve more Canadians. So I'll maybe turn to Ken on the product side. Product side, sure. So I think the thing we're most most excited about right now is is the self directed piece that we just talked about. I mean that that it's actually going to. Oh, I took one look at it and said, "Make this a lead gen tool, please." <laughs> like, oh, we're planning on that. Planning <laughs> on that, yeah. And one of the biggest reasons for that is is and we've kind of talked, we've mentioned it in different ways during the entire podcast. But is we look to embed conquest in the ecosystem of the partners that we work with. We don't want to waterfall our product and say good luck. It's it's about how can we understand better how advisors and financial professionals are working with their clients today. And then have Conquest be agile itself to work within their ecosystem. So that's a big part of it. There's obviously a large feature roadmap of stuff. We alluded to some of this on the call, volatility coming. And there's uh, our estate planning modules in in all three countries that will come out. That's going to be very exciting in terms of how we have Sam look at that and and touch on things. There's some UX redesign that we we constantly do. We try to do a very good job of, of not just worrying about users are in the system, but new users entering the system. The other big one is is expanding. What I'll call is is kind of expanding Sam a little bit and plan quality. So that's another area that we're looking at is, is how can we use our SAM to, yes, it looked at strategies and suggest things, but what about what a plan should be? What about a good plan? What about looking for additional opportunities? What about identifying potential problems with the plan that much sooner? So I think plan quality is going to be a big thing, will be a big thing for us as we continue to kind of look at for different ways to guide and make it easier for the advisor. You don't want to have to go through audit, maybe, I don't know, sometimes you like it, but you don't want to go through audit report after audit report, trying to hunt down a number and go, why does no. it do this? But what if you could potentially ask Sam or, or have Sam identify is that, you know what, you, you accidentally are selling, redeeming in this year earlier, or maybe you enter in a savings amount that was the wrong frequency. Like that, those things happen. It happens All in every time. single software. We want to automate that to make it easier that those are the things you don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing that we're continuing to look at among, again, like I said, self-directed and other pieces. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everyone. So here we go. First one, if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Who wants to go first? 
You said open you banking? Why don't you go first? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Let's not get... Oh. It make it to, on that one. Where's the scotch bottle? <laughs> oh. No, you go first. You go first. One thing to change. I, I forget how I answered this question back in August of 2020. Probably going to answer it differently. You just wanted revenue back then, so... Yeah, I just... I, I needed <laughs> revenue back then. No... Everybody, everybody freezes here because it's a really tough one. I should probably make it the last one, but then the podcast would never end. I, I, I mean, I, you can come back to it if you want. Yeah, why, why don't we circle? Like, yeah, I, we'll again, circle back. Like, yeah. Okay. So, question number two: What's the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? I can go on this one yeah, for sure. So, I think we talked a little bit to it earlier, but like scale is is going to be you know the largest challenge for us. We're in a much different situation than we were uh, when we first sat down a Under few years, three years ago. ago. But it it is. Some of the tenants that you talked about, maintaining that quality, Ken talked about kind of the six degrees of EISI, making sure that we're making the right decisions as we expand the business and bringing the right people into the organization that have the same general ethos and principles that we have kind of within the founding group around making financial planning more accessible. That's going to continue to be a challenge because as we continue to distribute into these additional regions, the the teams are only going to have to grow to satisfy the need and, and market demand. And so... I don't think something that's unachievable, but it's certainly something we need to be mindful of. It's tough. Okay. Is that the same answer? Or? I, I mean, it, it can be. I mean, I, w- I always think about the Coke-Pepsi problem, and I think that that's a challenge is that in, in Canada, we've done a pretty good job of explaining and highlighting the benefits of using Conquest and moving to Conquest and doing that change management. U.S., it'll be, it'll be interesting because there's a lot of incumbents that have been there for a long time. Well, I think the way your approach represents is a bit of a paradigm change to how planning works all together, right? right and the problem is, is when the earth moves underneath you, sometimes you don't realize that's happened, right? So the common questions I've heard is, well, why not just continue to use, pick on e-money, for example, yeah. right? It's like, you know, they're embedded into my enterprise and whatever. Okay, well, there's net benefit. Now, the question becomes, if you ripped it out and took that much pain. What net benefit do you have going forward on this? And I think it's a substantial and, and valid, valid replacement if you want to look at that. Yeah. And we talked about the scalability of, of the type of planning in the app as well as, as the technology piece. And that's where we want to continue that, build a lot of things around that. It, it's going to take a little bit of time. I think yeah. it's a challenge, but I think it's a good challenge because we can highlight the benefits of moving to Congress. We can highlight the benefits of that. And, and hopefully we change the minds that this will help you get more people in financial plans. It's good for everybody. Excellent. So question three, and we'll come back to question one. Question three is basically, okay, you know, startups and entrepreneurship in general are, is it can be a real, <laughs> real drag and make you question yourself. What keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight that is growing this thing? I love what we do. And I love the fact that everyone in our company is passionate. Like we were, we were talking on kind of the way over and, and we both flew into Toronto last night, but basically, you know, not to get all sappy, but, but seeing someone like Mark's passion, like he did this before he was successful. Mark's like a happy puppy. Every time I see him, he's like a kid in a candy store out, like living out his life ambition. <laughs> and, and, I'm not, and I'm not just saying this to kind of like, I don't want to use words suck up or whatever it is, but it, it's infectious across our organization because we all, everyone there has a passion to be there and we want to keep building and it. And it's so much fun, man. Like you'd like, well, we talk about this talk. all the time. Yeah, talk about it. I mean, like, but it's, it's, but it makes sense. It's a leadership thing. If the guy at the top is having the time of his life, how does that not resonate down? How does it not? Right? Yeah. And he's in the app and he's looking at like it, those stuff is just, it just infects. Yeah, it's in the weeds of small problems, but also at the same time, high level plan. Like it's just, but, tr- but the implicit trust of the team that's around him, like it's just, it's, it's yeah. great. And again, I'm not, we're lucky. Yeah. So it's a great position to be. Brad? Yeah. I, I, I would echo the team. Like, I just can't say enough about, about the group that that's, been around the the solution, helped build Conquest to date. We've talked a little bit about the fact that we quintupled in size from a people perspective and through a, a pandemic and people that like care. It's 
had an old boss that always said, you should actually be excited about Mondays. And I, I don't want to say every day is a Monday at Conquest because, <laughs> uh, because I'm sure we do need to support, you know, a work-life balance. But yeah. at the same time, we like, they're just, I think people care so much about what we're yeah. doing. You get excited over the weekend of what yeah. you're doing on Monday. Everyone's, everyone's committed yeah. to the process. I hear you. All right. Back to question one. You've oh, enough I have time to now. answer this one. <laughs> one thing to the change. one thing to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I, so I was thinking about that one before. So the big thing is, I think it's, and maybe it's, I don't know the best way to articulate this, but I'll give it a shot. It, it is that Coke Pepsi problem. It's that there's a lot of history and a lot of reaction to, I've always done it that way. I've always done it. So, I mean, if there was a, I don't know if there was a magic button to just be like, be open-minded, be open, be willing to say like, am I doing everything I can to work in the best interest of my client? You know, whether or not it's moving to conquest, whether or not it's looking at other technologies out there, whether or not it's, it's, it's different things that you can do to offer, whether it's a new fee structure, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just be open-minded to the fact that, and, and I'm a big believer in this. Like I like, everyone loves the movie Feel the Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Right. So if you can open up that, your mind to not be worried about, you know, the trailing fees and the mirror on the, the like, and you can actually be like, if we build things, if we offer products, if we offer advice, we offer things that's in the best interest of the client, that's actually going to get more people in the plans because they're going to, people will see the benefit. Like I'll tell you, like, yeah. For the long, my dad was a doctor for the longest time. He did not, he wasn't comfortable with financial planning because you're asking someone to trust you and look at it. And all you do is hear about the horror stories. And of course they're worried about judgment and any number yeah. of things. And you're, you know, the number of clients who've admitted they're embarrassed about a situation. And, you know, you got to try to get them out of that mindset as quickly as possible. So if there's a way to change just the, the way firms and, and some advisors, there's a lot of good advisors, a lot of great advisors out yeah. there. Just approach it. I think, again, if you build it, they will come and people will be more willing to accept Financial advice from financial professionals. Absolutely. Well, that's preaching to the choir, but continue. Your turn. Oh, now I, on the spot. Now I'm on the spot. I, I like. I, I echo everything Ken says. I yeah. think. I think. I'm struggling to answer this question. <laughs> what he said. No, I think there's a lot of things that that would be great to fix. Just generally, you know, I, we preach access to advice. I think that's one of the things that that I would maybe suggest or lean into is is that. You know, with some of the new capabilities that we're bringing with self-directed and kind of how that trees up, I. I would encourage firms to to look at getting advice in consumers' hands earlier and allow consumers to almost qualify themselves into channels instead of trying to lump consumers into channels. So it's kind of a similar to answer to Ken, but well, more on true. the I mean, I let them... con- consumer side than than on the well, just just. I agree. I would side. also say that it's it's going to require a reframing of thinking around providing the level of education of when that leap needs to happen. Right, like that's the issue. Right, like there absolutely are some. People come to me and say, you know, I want to work with you. And I'll be, I'll look at their case and say, honest truth is it's so simple that the fees I charge probably don't make any sense to you, right? That's the reality of it. And I will, if you want to engage me, this is fine. This is the price. Otherwise I'm happy to refer you somewhere else. Right. And it's just a matter of, again, having, knowing when it is valuable, when I, when, when that advisor, when that advice can be actually implemented and valuable. But anyway, one other thing to change. Yeah. I just came to me. Oh, there we go. We, yeah, we we should we should do this more than you know every three years. So, so maybe <laughs> feel free to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> I'll give you an annual spot. Anyway, I get back my conference. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> All right, gents. As always, a pleasure. Thanks, uh, we're going to wrap it up. So that was today's interview with the guys from Conquest Planning. Hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, I was impressed from day one, and big things have happened. Will continue to happen. So take the time to check them out. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. And until next time, take care.
This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.